The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Please stand with me for the read of uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 12 to 14. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that it will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple temple services eat food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of 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 the altar? Sorry. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. I also read in Swahili. Ikiwa wengine wanayo haki ya kutazamia hayo kutoka kwenu, je sisi hatuna haki zaidi kuliko hao. Lakini sisi hatukuitumia haki hiyo, badala yake tulistaminisha kila kitu ili tusiweke kizuizi chochote habari njema ya Kristo. Je hamjui kwamba wanaotumikia hekaruni hupata chakula chao hekaruni, na kwamba wanaotolea sadaka madhabauni hupata sehemu yao ya sadaka. Bwana aliigiza vivyo hivyo. Wahubiri wa habari njema wapate rikizi zao kutoka nayo. This is the word of God. Such a incredible joy to be here with you this morning. Story City Church, your leaders, the amazing praise team, thank you, thank you, thank you for this incredible delight to be here today. I bring you greetings uh, from the believers within First Baptist Church of San Jacinto, as well as our Providence Collective. That's a, a growing regional family of small churches, local churches, just partnering together to develop leaders and then to plant churches. I want you to know that I have not earned the, uh, I have not earned this opportunity to be before you this morning. It is not a right that I evoke to force my presence with you today. It is all of grace. And it's my privilege and it's my deep joy to stand behind this tremendous pulpit of a faithful expositor and a precious, precious friend to me. In my family. Such grace, such favor, such kindness extended to me to be with you today. We live in a time when rights are pushed in every culture, in our culture, from every angle, position, entity, and organization. Today, rights encompass broad umbrellas that cover large areas like economic rights, social rights, civil rights, and political rights. And under these wide umbrellas, we have niche rights such as animal rights, voting rights. Uh, We have judicial rights, trans rights, educational rights, parental rights, healthcare rights, border rights, medical rights. And my favorite, nature and climate rights. 
Today, you can find these rights and hundred more being pushed by someone or something. Dr. Victor Davis Hansen, the senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, says, and he recently observed that the proliferation and promotion of rights are at a fever pitch in our culture. Greater than any other time, he notes, in American history. More than the 1960s with the civil rights, more than the voting rights of women in the 1920s, more than the human rights and the abuse of those rights back in the 1860s. Today, we have a golden corral, whole buffet of rights that's being pushed, promoted, and advanced. And needless to say, It just seems that we are in the perfect climate to discuss Paul's efforts in pushing his gospel rights. And I hope that you will join me this morning and we will make every effort to align ourselves with God's heart for pushing gospel rights, for advancing gospel rights. Now we are in the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Just six more chapters over in this letter to the first Christian church at Corinth, we find 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul said the gospel was of first importance. In the Greek, it's protos, Protoss, the first thing, the most essential reality, the primary thing. What is the primary thing? What is the primary message of the gospel? Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. Granted, these verses imply that there were other important things to Paul as well, but they were not of protos. They were not of first importance. Only the gospel was. Evangelical Christians have always been gospel people, of course. After all, it's in our name. Evangelical is a transliteration of the Greek word gospel. So in that sense, the gospel has always been our brand. It's been the heart of Christianity from the very beginning. It is what gives our life, excuse me, it's what gives our faith life. The gospel indeed gives our faith life. In fact, the gospel impacts all areas of life. And some of those areas might even surprise us. One such area concerns the question, should ministers of the gospel always receive financial support for their work in the ministry? The important word is always. Now, most of you in this room would recognize that the Bible teaches that ministers are worthy of financial support from the local church. One text that immediately comes to my mind is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, where the apostle Paul says to a young preacher in his residency, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those 
who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer is deserving of his wages. Now keep in mind that last statement in verse number 18, keep in mind that was from Jesus Christ himself during his earthly ministry. You can find that in Luke chapter 10. The laborer deserves his wages. The consistent testimony of the New Testament appears to be that gospel ministers should make their living from gospel work from the local church. Preaching is no man's hobby. You'll never find an enthusiast club for pastors. Jeeps, Harley Davidsons, vinyl records, guns, yes, but not ministry leaders. Have you ever noticed that? And yet it deserves the largest share of our time and attention. And therefore, it ought to be the means by which a gospel worker supports himself and his family. And Paul gets specific about where the money comes from. He says to a group of collective churches in the region of Galatia, he says in Galatians 6, chapter 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, Paul wrote those words, but he also wrote 1 Corinthians, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18, where he affirmed that for the sake of the gospel and the souls of men, he would gladly lay aside this right and preach for free. The salvation of others above all was the issue in his ministry. The gospel above all was the decisive factor in all of his decision-making as a planting pastor. Setting to the side personal rights and preference mattered nothing to Paul if it meant that he would be used by Christ to just save one more so what I want to do this morning, I want to unwrap and I want to unpack those 18 verses and we're going to do this together. And we're going to notice two powerful, captivating, compelling reasons why Paul is pushing for his gospel rights. You see the first one on the screen. There is a right to compensation for the minister of the gospel. He's going to unpack that in the first 14 verses. Now, here's what I want to do. I want us to move across the surface of this passage much like one would snorkel. Why? Because to dive deep into the depths of these verses with scuba, oh, it would take weeks and weeks. Why? Because it's so beautiful. It's so magnificent. It's so glorious. But if we can begin to interact with this truth, the, the believer's liberty in Jesus Christ, if we can just see it from the surface level, it will change your life. So Paul is pushing his gospel rights here, and he says there is a right for the minister to receive compensation. The last part of 
the verse of, of chapter 8 of verse 13, it ties together chapters 8, chapters 9, and actually chapters 10. They all go together. What Paul, what Paul is doing here, he's not going to do anything to cause a brother or a sister to stumble in their faith, even if he has the liberty or the right to do it. That includes eating food sacrificed to a lifeless idol that we find in chapter 8. It also re- includes receiving compensation for the preaching of the gospel. He's going to forfeit that as well. In a sense, What Paul is doing in chapter 9, it is a personal example that drives home the point that Paul is trying to make in chapter 8. Now to do that, this is what Paul is going to do. He is going to build a compelling, irrefutable argument that the right of anyone who, who preaches the gospels and ministers to the church, they have a right to be financially compensated. His argument, ladies and gentlemen, is filled with 15 rhetorical questions and illustrations. Listen, we are about to see a persuasive masterpiece. So he begins to unpack this. It is a, it is a gospel right, financial remuneration for gospel ministry is a right in the first six verses It's a right of all God's apostles. I want you to see what he's going to do here. In this rhetorical barrage that begins in verse 1, he is going to give four rapid-fire questions in sort of a discado fashion, all demanding a yes answer. Look at at the first in verse 1. Am I not free? Well, yes, Paul is free. He is free in Christ as much as anyone. I mean, this is the axiom of Christianity that Jesus Christ emancipates, that he is and we are free in him. Paul had experienced the gospel as an exhilarating freedom. Notice the next, am I not an apostle? Yes, called by God on Damascus Road. We see that in Acts 9 in Galatians chapter 1. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The answer is yes. Acts 9, Acts 18, Acts 22 all bear that out. And then this fourth, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? What's the answer? Yes, I planted the first Christian church in Corinth. I was the lead planter of this congregation. So verse 2 reinforces this last point. If to others I am an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, you authenticate, you prove, you validate my work in ministry in the Lord as an apostle. In verse 2, Paul is saying, the fact that you're saved, the fact that you're in Christ, the fact that you've been born again, the fact that you're in the family of God, that you're in a church, ought to be proof enough that I am an apostle, Because I brought you the message. You ought to look at your own selves because you are my seal. Paul continues his defense in 
advocating the rights of his apostleship. Notice that little nuance in verse number three, to those who would examine in his apostolic credentials. Now, I hope you won't find what I'm about to say too unsettling, but you need to know that everyone, not everyone liked the apostle Paul. That's a shocker, isn't it? I mean, just let that sink in. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, do you realize he had real enemies? He had evil enemies? Some people find that quite surprising. But what's Paul going to do here is he, is he touches on that just a little bit in verse 3. Again, he is going to make use of rhetorical questions, but be warned, it's about to get awkward. It's about to get very uncomfortable He's about to get too transparent. I mean that. You need to be prepared in verse 4. I mean, it's, it's one of those moments you may want to go up and say, whoa, whoa, Paul, let's dial it back a minute. Let's rein it in. Take your foot off the pedal, man. Watch this. Here he goes. He asks, don't you have a right? Don't we have a right to eat and drink? I mean, you rely on what he's doing with this rhetorical question. He's just simply looking at the Corinthians. Don't we have the right to financial support in order but to meet the basic necessities? What are the basic necessities? Like food and water? He goes further in verse 5. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife and to do as do the other apostles and brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Paul was absolutely single. Most, if not all, of... How am I doing with this mic? It's like trying to whip me, but I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Most, if not all, of the apostles, like Cephas, Peter, they were married. That was apparently true for the, the brothers of Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. When they traveled and preached the gospel, the churches cared for the apostles and their wives, and no doubt their entire families. I mean, come on, wasn't Paul entitled to the same rights and support? Paul adds Barnabas to the argument in verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Theologian Thomas Schreiner notes, This suggests that Barnabas was also unmarried and didn't always receive financial support either. But Paul's point is clear. Everybody else can receive support. Everybody else can marry a Christian sister and take her on the journey. And the believers will not only support him, but her and perhaps the whole family as well. But we can't. If all the other apostles, including Peter and the Lord's brothers, if they are cared for financially, he and Barnabas would have the same right as well. It would not be unusual. It would be expected. Yet as you you will see in just a moment, for the sake of the gospel, Paul will gladly forfeit this right. Why? Because the gospel is protos to him. It is of first importance. It is the treasure that he seeks first. 
So financial remuneration for gospel ministry is a right. It is a right of all of God's apostles. But it's also a right because it's implemented within other vocations and professions and careers. Paul will now add again in rapid fire succession nine additional arguments and illustrations to demonstrate his right to financial support from this new church plant. He starts with a military illustration. In all of them, this is the usual custom in their vocations. This is the norm. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? None. I mean, warriors are compensated for their service. You've never met a Marine at Count Pendleton who had to moonlight and take gigs at night in order to make a living for his family since during the daytime he was a Marine. That would be unheard of. It's also, notice verse 7, it's the right of a van dresser who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit. No one. The very purpose of planting a vineyard is to enjoy what it produces. It's the right of a shepherd also in verse 7. Or who tends the flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Again, the answer is no one. Your labor, your work among the flock is to be rewarded. Do you see what he's done here? All three scenarios were carried out from their occupation. And here's his conclusion. So why not the servant of God? Why shouldn't the servant of God be equally cared for out of his occupation? It's consistent with other vocations. It's consistent with other careers as well as being consistent with being an apostle of Jesus Christ. So it's a right of all God's apostles. It is implemented within other vocations. And then in verses 8 through 10, he says, hey, by the way, this is embedded in the authority of Scripture. Embedded within the authority of Scripture. Notice what he does. Again, with rhetorical question in verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? Paul conveys in this question, do, do you think this is just one man's opinion? Do you think I just pulled this out of the thin air? Do you think it's just my spin on the topic? Notice what he does. He immediately counters that question with an appeal to Scripture. Does not the law say the same thing? What follows is his unexpected appeal to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, which anchors remuneration for gospel ministry in the authority of the Bible. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then he asks rhetorically again, is it for oxen that God is concerned Folks, Paul is not saying he does not care about animals like an ox. He cares for all of his good creation. He is, however, more concerned with humans who bear his image. And so what Paul is doing here, he is making a larger to greater argument. The, 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 less, the lesser to larger, excuse me, the less being the oxen, the greater being humans. And he's applying this principle that's contained in this commandment. Simply, those who work, whoever they are, should reap their labors. 
In other words, if this is true for an ox, it certainly should be true for an apostle. Boy, he raises the rhetorical question in verse 10. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? Well, here's one of those sweet moments that Paul is going to provide his own answer. He says, it was written for our sake. Yes, this is our benefit for our profit, our good. And then he adds another illustration that he will use again in his last written revelation to 2 Timothy, where he talks about the plowman should plow in hope. The man plows a field with the hope and expectation it will provide food in due season for him and his family. It's why he puts his hand in labor. And notice he also includes the thresher, thresh and hope of sharing in the crop. Simply, the reaper in the field works with the anticipation that there will be grain to take home at the end of the day. Wow, this immediately brings my mind to the book of Ruth and the implications there. You know what he's doing, church? He's all to be able... And so should every missionary, every pastor, every minister. We ought to be able to labor with anticipation that out of that labor is going to come our financial compensation. That out of that labor is going to come reward. That out of that labor is going to come provision. We shouldn't have to how we shouldn't have to have to be employed any with in order to have additional provision or income when the local church has been tasked to give it. Notice this. Again, look what he's doing. It's a right for God's apostles. It's implemented with other vocations and careers and vocations. It's embedded in the authority of Scripture, but notice what Paul does here. He said it's also an established precedent of those who minister the word. Paul now makes a precise spiritual application to the Corinthians from his numerous illustrations. Notice verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things for, from you? And of course, the obvious answer here is what? No. Furthermore, he adds, if others share in this rifle claim on you, do not we even more? Paul's point is, listen, if those who have come lately to the Corinthian church and they've received financial support from you, should not the one who founded the church receive compensation? Of course, the answer is yes. You see, there had been a precedent in Corinth. Apollos had served as one on the pastoral team, and he was uh, supported. Peter undoubtedly was being supported by them. Many others surely were being supported by this church. Paul is saying, everybody else is receiving it, shouldn't we? And especially Paul, who was the founder of the church and, and their one spiritual father. Come on. If anyone deserves this privilege, is it not Paul, but notice what he does in the second half of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. We have not required or received any financial help from anyone, but we endure anything rather than be an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Whoa. 
whoa. This precedent. He's saying, listen, we've not, we've not made use of this right. This precedent, precedent that's already been established here in Corinth, we're not doing it. This precedent that was established even by the priest in verse 13, you see that. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar always share in the sacrificial offering? He's saying this is the way it's always been. God provides for his priesthood. He provides for his priest. This is, this is the precedent. And then he said, oh, by the way, when we talk of precedent, it's also been established by Jesus Christ. That's why he makes this unbelievable argument. In the same way, verse 14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Boom. That's a mic drop moment, isn't it? Again, maybe some of you remember, perhaps not, but in the mid-90s there was a slogan going around with a campaign and it was all about what would Jesus do. Well, I can tell you, as it relates to 1 Corinthians 9, Jesus would take care of his ministers in the gospel. Say amen. amen. But guess what? Guess what? The Apostle Paul is going to take that right and he's going to lay it to the side. And in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, no, I you, want you to know something. There is a compulsion to preach the message of the gospel. And what, what's he saying? This is, this is a calling. There's a necessity. You see that in verse 15, I would rather die. Notice verse 16, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Did you hear that? Woe. He wants the Corinthians to feel. He has to do this. He has to preach the gospel. And so that we're witnessing what's happening here in this moment is Paul is saying, I'm going to lay aside that right that I deserve. I'm going to lay that aside because I am, I am called by God to preach the gospel and, and, and I've learned that it's going to offend some of you, so I'm going to withhold that right because I have to preach the gospel. I tell you, he would raise his own question, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, verse 18, I may present the gospel, what? Free of charge. Now I'm going to take three minutes and speak to you, Story City. In conclusion, in conclusion, and as we now make a little application, Paul had every right to lay this 
to the side. And we value that as a follower in Jesus Christ. We respect that as we get our minds wrapped around a Christian's liberty in Christ. But now, church, Paul had that right. You have that right. But the local church and believers, we don't have the right to neglect taking care of those who've given their lives to the ministry of the gospel. Can I have an amen? Paul would tell Timothy, those who work hard at teaching and preaching deserve double honor. And here's the most uncomfortable thing about this morning's message. I have been preaching and teaching the Bible for over three decades. And I want you to know this man on this front row is worthy of double honor. Where are those who's supposed to shout out? That's where they, I, I needed them to do it right now. He works hard at preaching and teaching. Would you help me increase his hope? Remember the plowman, he plows in hope. The thresher, he threshes in hope. Would you help me elevate his hope today? And recognize that he and his staff are treasures to this church? Gifts? My heart was moved at the scripture reading in Swahili. And I thought of all the parts of the world that there are churches that do not have the privilege of a pastor. And you have such a privilege. And I thank God. I thank God for my brother Jared. You say, Pastor Stacy, you have a model that we could follow? Yes, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and Philippians chapter 4. They poured out lavishly on the Apostle Paul. And I'm hoping and I'm praying you will honor those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Will you do that for us today? Okay, that's three of you. Someone asked you again. <laughs> Would you please honor those who work hard Amen. at preaching and teaching? What a privilege. Father, I cannot, I cannot dismiss the great privilege it is to have faithful leaders who've given up their lives in order to proclaim the gospel. May Story City Church be a Macedonia church who gives abundantly 
because we treasure the protos. We treasure the main thing, the gospel, and how we take care of our leaders is a reflection of how we value the gospel. Bless this church. What a blessing to be here. I commend them to your strong arms of grace in Jesus' name.